Hello and welcome to the Medico Lifestyle Study Medicine Podcast. My name is Dr Jonas Hayes, I'm a Foundation Doctor. And my name is Emily Kelly and I'm a Graduate Entry Medical Student. Our weekly podcast aims to tackle tough medical topics in 30 minutes. So our case today is that of a 70-year-old man who is brought in by ambulance. He's got a right-sided weakness of his arm, right-sided weakness of his leg and slurred speech. Okay. Okay, he's got a past medical history of hypertension and type 2 diabetes. Okay. So there's no real points here for guessing what our top differential is. If I was to put a stab in the dark, I'd say I think this gentleman might have had a stroke. Yeah, so it does sound like a classic uh, ischemic stroke history. Um, But if you then nail into the details, where's his stroke? Mm. Which parts of the brain has it affected? Um, how are we going to classify it? How are we going to manage that stroke? It all starts to get a bit more complicated, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's start off then. Our podcast today is going to be discussing ischemic stroke and all of the aspects that you need to know. You can get the accompanying PDF from our website, um, medicolifestyle.com, which summarises everything we're going to talk about today into nice, pretty boxes for you. So, how are we going to recognise um someone has had a stroke oh when i think about recognizing a stroke i think about that like public health like advert with Mm -hmm. that really scary lady with her face drooping and then going face arms speech time like (laughs) on tv and the burning brain yeah yeah yeah. yeah, that's that's all i think of a very effective um public service announcement that one Mm. um and certainly actually apparently it was so scary that people complained um, they, yeah, they didn't, but people get the message that, you know, brain's on fire. It's a bit of an emergency. Yeah, I mean, it was probably like 10 years ago or something, but I still really have that image of that lady's face drooping. Like... There you are. Shows it was very effective, um, broadcasting. Yeah. So yeah, fast, um, the sort of fast positive test mm. is a really, really effective one for identifying for the general public and ambulance staff as well use it to identify people who may have had a stroke. Um, there is another tool that we use in the emergency room or okay. in A&E's. Um, it's called the Rossier tool. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, I haven't actually. So it's recognition of stroke in the emergency room. Hmm. So it's got a bit of a scoring system. Okay. Uh, let's see how many points you're going to give our chat. Okay. So uh, loss of consciousness gives you minus one point. Okay. Uh, seizure activity gives you another minus one point. Okay. Asymmetrical facial weakness is positive one point. Mm-hmm. Asymmetric arm weakness positive mm-hmm. one asymmetric leg weakness positive one yeah and speech disturbance positive one yeah and also visual field defect positive one okay so without even delving any deeper into this gentleman's history asking yep. many questions examining him at all he's got three absolutely so he's already got three uh, and the scoring system means that if you score any more than zero mm-hmm. it says that stroke is possible oh so, yeah, you're going to pick up a lot of um, a lot of people here who have a stroke, but also maybe quite a few who don't. But it's it's worth, you know, making you therefore consider stroke as your diagnosis. Okay, fair. Okay, so do you know how it works with regards to, you know, we've brought this guy in, we've maybe identified, we've said he's fast positive, we've brought him somewhere. Mm-hmm. Do you know where we're going to take him when it comes to getting him to the hospital? So if the ambulance crew, if he gets picked up by an ambulance, yeah. assuming, um, if they suspect he's had a stroke, they will get diverted to 
a hospital that is equipped to deal with stroke. <laughs> like a stroke yeah. centre. Good, stroke good guess. Yeah, yeah. So hospitals that are well equipped to deal with stroke will have places like a hyperacute stroke ward mm-hmm. or HASU, hyperacute stroke unit. Um, also places that do um, thrombolysis, the manage- one of the main management things, and have stroke teams. So he comes to the stroke team. They tend to have a, a performer or a big document that's, you know, you take down your history and it's got some management tips in as well. Hmm. So in that performer, you're taking his history. You're yeah. now the junior doctor. You, you're taking stuff about his background and things. Um, what kind of risk factors for stroke can you identify from his history so far? Well, we said he's got diabetes mm-hmm. and hypertension. Yeah. So I imagine those two are risk factors. For yeah, stroke. those are two big ones. Any other risk factors for stroke? Um, I'm going to say... High cholesterol. Yeah. Um, I, I know AF is definitely a risk factor for stroke mm-hmm. because you can get clots. Yeah, atrial fibrillation. For, yeah. For those that uh, don't know what AF stands for. Um, anything else? Um, lifestyle stuff like smoking, alcohol, mm-hmm. diet. Yeah. Other stuff you can't change like older, being a bit older. Being old. Um, ethnicity. Yeah, ethnicity can have an effect. Um, and also the classic risk factor for anything is having a history of it or having a family history mm. of that thing. Previous stroke much. or family yeah. history of stroke. Okay, great. Um, so those are kind of risk factors. We've talked about some of the modifiable ones, um, smoking, alcohol, etc., and some of the non-modifiable ones, as in being a bit older. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then, you know, again, you're taking your history... Um, and you're trying to rule in and out any kind of differentials. So if I give you some kind of differentials for stroke, okay. um, sort of other things it could be, can you give me a bit more of a history telling me why maybe it's not those things? Okay, so, yeah. for example, why is this not like a brain tumour, potentially? Well, a brain tumour would cause or could cause yeah. a focal neurology like yeah. it could cause a neurological deficit it could cause these symptoms yeah because it takes up space in your brain yeah um but you'd expect a brain tumor to be more of like a chronic long-term ish onset mm, yeah so then there might either be history of you know other cancers and this yeah. being a, a metastasis or as you say a bit noticing of a something coming on or yeah. whereas this would a stroke would tend to happen quite suddenly yeah Okay, um, what about um, a TIA, a transient ischemic attack? Isn't that like a stroke? Well, yeah, it's in the name, I guess. It's an ischemic attack. It's an mm-hmm. ischemic event. Yeah, okay. But it's transient, so like it may have exactly the same symptoms. It, it could present exactly like a stroke. Mm. Um, but it's that it resolve spontaneously within 24 hours yeah so that that's good that's really key then to our diagnosis of stroke so our defining stroke as you know this acute uh focal neurological deficit um that lasts more than 24 hours and has mm. to be secondary to cerebrovascular disease yeah yeah so tia doesn't last so long um and what about intracerebral hemorrhage do you mean like a bleed on the brain yeah like a hemorrhagic stroke yeah hemorrhagic stroke would that be different to an ischemic stroke in presentation? I mean, I'd imagine it would present quite similarly, really. Yeah, it can present quite similarly. Do you know? So there are some features that you might be more suspicious of hemorrhagic. 
things like a reduced consciousness level um, and seizure can sort of push you toward it being maybe more hemorrhagic. Because of raised intracranial pressure? Or? Yeah, or yeah, as you say, any as well, any features that sort of indicate raised intracranial pressure, papilledema in the back of the eye and other things like that that can give you that indication that it might be more likely hemorrhagic. Cool. Uh, okay, so gone through some differentials. So now, classically, you know, you've, you are thinking this guy's had a stroke, um, but you need to do some investigations, right? Yeah, we need to make sure he has actually had a stroke. Yeah, so how are you going to tell? So break us down some investigations for ischemic stroke. Um, so when we talk about investigations, we always do bedside tests, blood tests and imaging. Mm-hmm. Bedside tests, I guess we've said that AF is quite... A, big risk factor for yeah, stroke. Yeah, absolutely. So you get a mini CG yeah. to see if he's in AF or any other cardiac problems mm-hmm. that could lead to a stroke. Um, you definitely want to do his general observations. Yeah, good. O2 sats and heart rate, yeah. blood pressure, all those sorts of things. Yeah. And then what blood tests would you do? So blood test wise, you are going to do the your sort of classic uh, A&E panel. So your FBCs use knees. Um, you also want to do things like a glucose um, because you want to see if they, for instance, have reduced levels of consciousness. Is that due to hypoglycemia rather than a stroke? Yeah. You might do cardiac enzymes as well if you think there's a, you know su- suspicion that they might have had an MI and that sort of reduced cardiac output from an MI is given reduced consciousness. Again, things like cholesterol you might want to investigate. Again, that's kind of risk factor, isn't it, for, for yeah. MI? Uh, sorry, for, for MI and for stroke. Um, and if you think that potentially, you know, what might be throwing off these clots, if it could be something like infective endocarditis, mm. so, you know, infections in the heart, um, you might then want to take things like blood cultures. Uh, but obviously your clinical suspicion would have to be kind of leading you down that way. Yeah, so I guess the blood test thing, it's not, none of them are really, you, you don't have a diagnostic blood test for stroke, obviously. Like, they're no. all more to look at other things that either ruling out other differentials or yeah. what might be causing the stroke. Absolutely, that's a key point. Okay. Okay, um, so imaging then is the big one when it comes to looking at someone who's had a stroke. Yeah. So, I mean, you might do a chest x-ray because... You know, that's going to be a classic investigation when they come into A&E. Is that really what you do first, though? Well, you're probably going to be heading towards the scanner, aren't you? I would have thought so. Yeah. So CT scan then. Yeah. Would you do that rather than MRI or would you prefer an MRI? What would be your favourite? Well, CT scans are easier to get and quicker. Yeah. So CTs are easier to come by. Yeah. They're quick. Um, and certainly sort of they're recommended within that first hour of presentation mm-hmm. that people should have a CT. Yeah. Um, MRIs, if you can, they can be more sensitive to early strokes uh, or the sort of ischemic changes early on. Um, so they are better in that way, but less available. Mm-hmm. And then other kind of imaging, carotid dopplers, echoes, why might they be useful? To find out like why you might have had your stroke yeah, absolutely. So carotid dopplers to see if there's any stenosis or um, atrial fibrillation uh, doing an echo, things like that. Okay. Okay. All right. So if we then move on to talk a bit more about the blood supply to the brain. 
So this is pretty uh, key to understanding then how uh, strokes affect the brain. Yes. Because we said that, you know, a stroke is you're blocking up um, an artery that could be thromboembolic. So, Mm -hmm. you know, thrombus moving to block an artery. It could be, you know, a block blockage forming in that artery itself. Like a stenosis. Like a stenosis. Yeah, so it could be a sort of a stenosis of something more proximal uh, to that artery, or it could be uh, literally a clot forming in that artery and blocking it up itself. Yeah. Okay. So, circle of Willis. Ooh. Yes. Putting it out there. What's the circle of Willis? That little blood vessel diagram that looks like a stick map. Yes, <laughs> the funny circular uh, blood vessels that sit at the base of the brain. Yeah. Yeah. So we can kind of divide it. So it's it's a ring. It's not a ring in everyone, actually. Oh, really? So in about 50% of people, it's not a complete ring cool. um, of arteries. Uh, but as, as I say, then in half of all the population, it will be a complete ring of arteries. Uh, we can kind of divide it then into an anterior and a posterior circulation. Mm-hmm. So the anterior su- supplying the anterior most parts of the brain, really. Yeah. So, which do you know which artery supplies the majority of the anterior circulation? Um, I'm going to say that it's that it's the carotid artery that we've been talking about. Absolutely. So it's the specifically the internal carotid artery mm-hmm. that uh, supplies the anterior circulation. Yeah. And um, we said about carotid artery stenosis. Mm-hmm. So that's quite an important factor there, that you can have stenosis in your carotid artery. Yeah. And do you know where that occurs in the carotid artery? Is it near where it, where it like splits into the internal and external carotid arteries? Yeah, so the bifurcation of the carotid. Um, you get quite a lot of turbulent blood flow there, and so you're more likely to get um, stenosis forming there because of that bifurcation. The internal and the external. Okay, good. So the internal then carries on into the brain uh, and splits to supply uh, two of the main arteries mm-hmm. to to the brain. So our middle cerebral artery yep. and our anterior cerebral artery. Yes. Most of the blood flow goes to which one? Uh, I'm going to say the middle cerebral yes. artery because it looks bigger. Yeah, so it's almost <laughs> like a continuation. And 80% of the blood flow from the internal carotid goes straight into the middle cerebral. And that's why um, when we have uh, things like AF, a lot of those um, thrombo, those cardio, cardiac thromboemboli yeah. will go into MCA middle cerebral Because they're going to go territory. up that carotid artery. Yeah. And More likely, isn't it? That's where it goes. Absolutely. Right. So the middle cerebral artery supplies the lateral surface of the cerebral hemispheres. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of supplying the sides. And there's some really important areas there. There's uh, Broca's area, Wernicke's area. Mm-hmm. Do you know what um, brain functions they're involved in? That's all about speech and language. Mm-hmm. So Broca's is um, to do with expression of, of either sort of written or spoken language. Mm-hmm. Um, so problems with that cause an expressive dysphasia. Yeah. Um, and um, what about Wernicke's then? So that's more understanding. Mm. So a receptive dysphasia. Absolutely. So that's our receptive dysphasia. Um, we've also got the um, sort of sensory and motor areas as well that extend down into the uh, middle cerebral artery territory as well. Mm. So that's where we get our problems with 
um, sensation and motor function of our um, of our upper limbs and our face. Yeah. And you know, so our guy had a problem on the right hand side. Yeah. Yep. So where's his stroke most likely going to be? On the left. Good stuff. Contralateral. It's contralateral, so it's the opposite side. Yeah. yeah. Good. Okay. So then that's our MCA, our ACA, anterior cerebral artery. Yep. Um, is supplying the medial aspect of the hemisphere up to what we call the parieto-occipital sulcus. So, Ooh. I know, it's a good name. So, sulci being the um, the grooves yeah. in the brain. Um, and that's the groove between the occipital lobe and the parietal lobe. Mm-hmm. Cool. Again, this is going to cover some of the sensory motor areas, um, particularly those of the lower limbs, and some of the areas of the optic tract as well. Ah, uh, because people can often get visual disturbances absolutely so they'll they'll get they may get visual field defects yeah good okay um so that's our anterior circulation now god when we have stroke we have these things called stroke syndromes have you heard of stroke syndromes bamford stroke classification bamford it's a bit of a dreaded um classification um so yeah, so it's divided. seems a bit arbitrary, really. Like, it's a good. Yeah, I don't know. so it's a good question whether it, do we use these things? I don't um, know. So, Bamford classification certainly it's included in a lot of med school. Um, people talk to you about it when you get you to get the stroke asked ward. About it, definitely. So you do get asked about it. Um, how much does it affect your sort of day to day life when you're um, practicing medicine? I'm going to say less so. Um, you're still going to be managing these strokes in a reasonably similar way, but it does actually contribute um, when you come to doing some prognostication and certainly as with lots of these classifications and scoring systems they come out of papers and research Bamford's research yeah. Bamford's research yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely so our first classification then is that of a total anterior circulation infarct TACI okay so if it's affecting the total anterior circulation yep. as we've just said the anterior circulation is the middle cerebral artery and the anterior cerebral artery good so it's going to be affecting both of those yeah so they should have all of the following features so they should have dysfunction with sort of complex cognition so that'd be be that things like speech um and other cognitive processes speech and the understanding Mm. yeah um they should have a homonymous visual field defect do you know what homonymous means homonymous is the same on both sides absolutely so all of the left side of their vision in both eyes or all of the right side of their vision in both sides, depending on where it is. And a sensory motor deficit affecting uh, two or more of their face, their arm or their leg. Okay? So it kind of gives you that that swing there that could be affecting the anterior and the middle cerebral artery. Yeah, you've got to have at least a face and an arm or an arm and a leg. (laughs) As well, yeah. Or a leg and a... Yeah. Or a leg and a face... Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so then that's total. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have partial anterior circulation infarct. So I guess that's either the, the MCA or the ACA separately? Weirdly, it can be separately or a bit of both, but not quite as fully as our total anterior circulation infarct. Okay. Sounds a bit confusing, but it means that you either you have two out of three of those features we mentioned, the, the higher center dysfunction, um, like speech problems the homonymous visual field defect or the sensory motor defect affecting you know face arm or leg so, so it's only basically two out of those three. The, yeah two out of the three things for the total and you've got partial yeah okay 
Great. So that's kind of our anterior circulation. Um, so then if we think about our posterior circulation, yeah. so that's supplying the sort of back parts. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know which arteries feed into that posterior circulation? Um, the first thing that comes to my head is like basilar artery. Yeah, so two arteries come to feed that basilar artery. Oh, they're like the ver- verte- vertebral? Yeah. Yeah, so you've got vertebral arteries. The ones so that go through the... Yes, you're, you're indicating I'm with indicating your hands the, side of the, the transverse foramina. <laughs> That's the so, one. So, yeah, so the vertebral arteries pass up the transverse foramina um, from C6 upwards. Yeah. Interestingly, they, there are transverse foramina in C7, um, but the artery tends not to go up through them. Just weirdly. skips that one out? Yeah, skips that one out and goes up through C6. Hmm. So I think that's quite cool. Um, that's cool. But yeah, so you've got your vertebral arteries that are coming up and coming together. And they come together to the basilar yeah. artery. And you also have a very small anterior spinal artery which comes up and joins that as well. Mm. So that gives off a few arteries then for the posterior circulation. So yeah. our posterior cerebral artery, mm-hmm. PCA, which is for, which kind of supplies the... Uh, posterior surface of the cerebral hemisphere and a bit of the inferior temporal lobes down the sides. Um, Some really important areas there. Um, Any ideas about important stuff that's at the back of the brain? Um, Cranial nerves? Um, So it does supply cranial nerves and that's kind of more in-depth to a sort of the brainstem area, which it does supply, the posterior cerebral artery does supply some cranial nerves. But also at the back of the brain, the occipital lobe, you've got your primary visual cortex. Okay. So that certainly is going to give you issues with your sight, as you might imagine. Yeah. Um, okay. As well as the posterior cerebral arteries, you've also got cerebellar arteries. Mm-hmm. The cerebellum, the little brain sitting underneath. Do you yeah. know what the cerebellum does? That's all about like coordination and posture. Yeah. Very good. Posture, balance, all that stuff. And when people have issues with the cerebellum, they tend to have these quite classic signs that we put mm-hmm. into an acronym called Danish. Oh, yeah, yeah. Danish. I remember Danish. Okay, so it stands for? Oh, gosh. D4. Uh, Destiodokinesia. Which is a very funny thing you do with your hands. Yeah, it's the, a coordinated can you movement. turn your hand up and down on top of the other hand and switch? Yes. So we might, you know, need to do a little video of that on our Instagram yeah. for people to, to be able to understand Just that one. Destiodokinesia. Yeah, so that's for D. A is for... Ataxia. Ataxia. So that's um, issues of your gait. Um, N is for... Nystagmus. Nystagmus, yes. Yeah, so coordination of eye movement. And you can guess then which cranial nerves are being affected. Um, I'll, let, I'll leave you guys to work that one out. Um, <laughs> so nystagmus, I for... Intention tremor. Very good, yeah. S for... Speech. Yeah. Difficulties. Slurred so, speech. Yeah, slurred speech. Because speech is actually very coordinated. Um, so you need your cerebellum the, to help you with that. It's the coordination of speech rather than the understanding or the making. Good. Yeah. Yeah, because you've got some, you know, lots of muscles that come together to give you your speech. Yeah. Okay. So that's the S and then the H. Oh, hypotonia. Yeah, absolutely. So, and again, another thing to do with um, coordination. So that's not having brisk reflexes. Yeah. Like the opposite of... The opposite of brisk, brisk reflexes. reflexes. Hypotonia. Yeah, very good. Okay, so that's our posterior circulation. We should also uh, then say our Bamford stroke classification for that, posterior circulation infarct. 
Um, so that's any of the following features, sort of cranial nerve palsies um, alongside a contralateral sensory motor defe- defect mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, or it could be a bilateral sensory motor defect, or you could have a sort of conjugate eye movement disorder. Remember we talked about... Sorry, conjugate? Yeah, because a conjugate, that word, like... conjugate is moving uh, together. Yeah. So oh, is an inability to move together? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, so okay. one of your eyes might be going one way and one might be going the other way. Right. They're not working together. That's what conjugate means. Uh, sorry, I just had to stop you there. Fair Didn't enough. Know that um, and so the other one is sort of isolated cerebellar dysfunction. So again, we talked about cerebellar arteries, so probably cerebellum. Or visual field defects. We talked about the fact that the occipital lobe to do with vision. Okay, we should also say then, we've covered three of the Bamford stroke classifications. Mm. There is one remaining. Okay. So that is the lacuna infarct. Oh. Oh, are they of like the small arteries? Yeah, so they affect the perforating arteries. They're these small uh, little arteries and they can come off the anterior or the posterior circulation. Yeah. Yeah, so again, these ones, the anterior ones, um, will supply some of the sort of deeper brain structures. So stuff in the middle of the brain, um, things like your internal capsule, which is a big white matter tract um, that carries lots of sensory and motor fibres. Mm-hmm. Um, your basal ganglia, do you know what the basal ganglia do? Oh, like uh, initiating movement. Yeah, so we think about it mostly in things like Parkinson's. Parkinson's. Um, your thalamus, which is another big relay station. Um, but also works on things like consciousness and alertness. Um, so that's all our anterior perforators. And then our posterior ones supply a lot of the kind of uh, brainstem structures. I guess it's that side of things, isn't it? Like yeah. towards the back. So there's lots of, off, the, off that basilar artery which we talked about, yeah. um, there's lots of little perforating branches that come out to supply cranial nerves down there and the midbrain and the pons and... You're going to need to sort of look at a nice diagram for this. I need to brush up my neuroanatomy. Yeah. Fortunately, if you look at our PDFs as well, you can see a nice picture of this. Mm, great. So lacunae infarcts then in our Bamford classification um, include things that are just, uh, can be a pure motor stroke, a pure sensory stroke, um, just sensory motor deficit, or an ataxic hemiparesis, which sounds very funny, but that essentially means ataxia, so that problematic gait and weakness on one side okay oh so those are our bamford classifications which is Ooh. tough stuff really. it is yeah it is tough yeah but good to good to know okay so we've got our chap um we've gone through this whole process of clerking him with our performer we have sussed we've done a ct we've worked out he's got a infarct on which side left side yeah, sorry, yeah. I couldn't remember which side of the weakness was on there. I was like, Right side of weakness, left side of the infarct, great. Yeah. Um, we're actually convinced that he's probably got a total anterior circulation infarct because he's got all of these features. We didn't mention that he also has a, a bit of a visual field def- deficit that you found when you examined him so well. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so when we now think about management, yeah, we've got one big question mm-hmm. in the history of yeah. the presenting complaint. Yeah. What is it? When did his symptoms start? Yeah, when. And this is key. Um, and this is key, really, um, because of our main, one of our mainstay treatments for stroke, mm-hmm. which is thrombolysis. Yeah. So what's the time cut off? For four and a half hours? Four and a half hours, yeah. So 
if they have had onset of symptoms in less than four and a half hours, we should really consider um, doing thrombolysis or thrombolizing them. Yeah, so we do thrombolysis with a drug called Alteplase. Um, have a look at the PDF. It shows how Alteplase works. Um, in It activates plasminogen to turn into plasmin, and uh, that causes the breakdown of fibrin. So that's the breakdown of our clot. If you want to know more about clotting, you can listen to our episode on pulmonary embolism. Yeah, we talked we talk, all about the clotting cascade. We talked a lot about the clotting cascade. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, great. So thrombolysis, why don't we do it after 4.5 hours, do you think? Has it just not been shown to be useful? Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not been shown to be as beneficial. And you're weighing it against the fact that if you give someone uh, alteplase, there's a, a risk here that they do bleed. Yeah. Cool. Okay, other management, antiplatelets. So like aspirin? Yeah, aspirin. So 300 milligrams of aspirin um, either immediately if you're not going to thrombolyze them or 24 hours later if you if you are going to do some thrombolysis. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay, so we've followed our journey through the clarking and all that. Um, where do they end up ultimately, stroke patients? Or where should they end up? On like a specialist stroke ward? Yeah, so we said they should end up either on a, a hyperacute stroke unit and then on a proper stroke ward after that. Um, where, why, you know, why bother putting them in these special places? Because they need specialist rehabilitation. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a real sort of subspecialty, stroke medicine. Um, mm. And there's a lot of kind of physios and OTs and things like that who work together um, to, to help stroke patients. And actually, um, we don't just do it because we feel like it. There is evidence that shows that um, on a stroke specialist ward um, patients can have an improved survival benefit and you know less disability after a year post-stroke so that multidisciplinary approach really does work does actually pay off yeah who knew <laughs> um, okay the other things then um, when we talked about posterior infarcts and things we said that people can have lots of problems with cranial nerves mm-hmm. we remember cranial nerves supply the throat the mouth Mm. Problems talking, problems speaking. Problems um, swallowing. Yeah, problems swallowing. Ooh, speech and language therapists. Yes, get them in there. Um, but also, you know, right from the beginning, doing a kind of a basic um, bedside swallow test to see if, if they have issues with swallowing. Do they start coughing terribly? Don't start just offering them, like, water. Like... No, we're not, we're not offering big, big jugs of water here to start with, at least. It's just, you know, seeing how well they can swallow. Um, because what do you want to avoid? Aspiration, pneumonias and all those sorts of Yeah, all things. those negative things that come from breathing in anything that you try and eat or drink. Mm. Good. Um, glycemic control as well. So our chap's got type 2 diabetes. Yeah. Um, so it can actually be quite important to try and treat any hyperglycemia as that increases the risk of what we call hemorrhagic transformation. Oh, like when you're ischemic... Mm-hmm. Stroke turns into a hemorrhagic stroke. Yeah, which can happen because if you think about it, you've, you know, you've damaged a part of the brain, it can make it more prone to bleeding. Mm. Okay, something else that we need to think about, that we think about really when we admit any patient to a hospital, we um, tend to do an assessment. Like a VTE assessment? Yeah, very good. VTE actually causes 10% of deaths post-stroke. So... That's a, which is a lot, right? Mm. But if you think about it, um, they've got lots of factors here where they're 
can be really immobile. Yeah. Um, if they've got, you know, weakness and... Um, we talk about all of the risk factors in our PE again, podcast. Again, yeah, going again, back to the so PE podcast. Go back and listen um, to that. But certainly it's highly recommended to be using your low molecular weight heparins, anoxaparin, doltaparin, etc., etc. Et um, and blood pressure control is another Well, this chap topic. had hypertension mm. on presentation. Yeah. So people can have quite a few issues with their blood pressure control after they've had a stroke. Um, in fact, hypertension can be quite common. Yeah. Um, but whether you try and aggressively manage that, manage that or not is quite controversial. Mm. Um, because if you try and aggressively reduce their blood pressure, you can worsen some of the cerebral perfusion. Um, and that can cause actually expansion of their, of their stroke, which is bad. You want to perfuse it as best you can, I suppose. Yeah, you do. But again, you also don't want to go too high and get a bit worried if the systolic, you know, goes well above 200. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Enough so of that. So then how about they've been in hospital, they've had yeah. a lot of physio input and they, they're doing a lot better and they're thinking about going home. Mm. What's next? Well... It's all of our kind of secondary prevention measures. So we need to start thinking about, um, firstly, we investigated why they had their stroke. Mm-hmm. So we did things like carotid dopplers to see those stenosis. And we did uh, an ECG to look for atrial fibrillation. Yeah. So those you can manage. AF, you can treat with anticoagulation. Carotid stenosis, there are um, carotid endarterectomies, which oh, are... they go in surgically and mm-hmm. literally scoop out the atherosclerosis. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I've assisted in one. It's quite dramatic, actually. Um, it's quite a dramatic operation. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, shown to be of some benefit, um, depending on when you do it, and how stenosed they are. Other kind of lifestyle modifications then, of course, stop, stop smoking, always good advice. Um, statins for their dyslipidemia if they've got it um, and then kind of long term antiplatelets can be good if they're not on anticoagulants for AF say so the best antiplatelet or the most cost effective they say is um, clopidogrel and they'll be on that for ever yeah long term great so that then is a kind of summary of all of the management of our guy hopefully he gets a lot better with yeah. all of his stroke rehab um and he, he you know managed to regain some of his speech and things but i guess the prognosis is really different depending on yeah it can patient, like. absolutely it can massively vary and if you think about it this is you know huge changes and we've we've talked very much about physical symptoms but psychologically we can there can be issues with cognition um and emotions and you know it's your it's your brain after all Mm. yeah yeah (laughs) so it can really affect all areas of people's lives yeah and even if their cognition isn't affected like to go from one minute being fit and healthy to the next Mm. minute having the whole one side of your body completely paralyzed Mm. it's not going to make you feel more jolly is it no we haven't even gone into occupational therapist adaptions and you know all oh, it's amazing sort of all the all yeah. the amazing things they can do, but yeah. it's really individualised for each patient and yeah, good to but good from this side of things to identify strokes and be able to manage them yeah um, acutely and get the team involved I absolutely. Think. So I guess that's sums up our episode on stroke, ischemic stroke. 
Um, thanks for listening. Make sure you go and check out that PDF on our website, medicolifestyle.com, um, which has all the notes from what we've chatted about today. And you can also listen to our other episodes on our website or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.